Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for February 27th, 2023. My name is Shelby Herbert and you're listening to KFSK. The Alaska Senate Finance Committee is instituting a voluntary COVID-19 testing policy after several legislators and staff have tested positive for the virus. The Alaska Beacon reports that Sitka Republican Senator Burt Stedman said, with all three committee co-chairs, including himself, calling for voluntary testing, it's voluntary in the same sense of an army sergeant asking for volunteers. Elsewhere, the chairs of the House and Senate Rules Committees issued a joint memo calling on legislators and staff to stay home if they are ill or test positive for COVID-19. At least two members of the State House have been ill with COVID and away from the Capitol this week, including Representative Stanley Wright of Anchorage and Representative George Rauscher George of Sutton. Besides voluntary testing, so far there have been no changes to in the Capitol's COVID policy. One of the most popular recreation cabins in the Wrangell area fell victim to the forest this winter. It's been flattened by a spruce tree. As Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell, the U.S. Forest Service is uncertain how long a replacement might take. Water and rocky beaches of Annan Bay, about 30 miles south of Wrangell on the mainland, are prime southeast Alaska. While the site is often associated with bear and other wildlife viewing, the creek and lagoon that feed into Annan Bay have been a central site for fishing, gardening, and hunting for Shlinket clans for thousands of years. Blown away with the beauty of the area. Jeff Owings spent the better part of three months at Annan last year, working as an inspector on a large improvement project for the wildlife viewing platform that sits above Annan Creek. And it was about that time that I told myself next early spring I wanted to bring my family up for a long weekend. So this trip we had, we had actually had planned this out for about a year. After the 70-mile run from Kejikan, Owings pulled into Annan Bay in a 46-foot landing craft full of six adults, four kids, two dogs, and their gear. I was looking at the face of the cabin and didn't notice anything right off the bat. So I, I went up to the top of the roof, which is where we kept keep the skiff to go back and forth. And I was getting ready to launch a skiff in the water, and that's when I looked over at the cabin and realized I didn't see a roof. And then I focus in a little more, and that's when I realized that there was a big tree laying across the cabin. He and a friend ran the skiff in, hoping the damage wasn't as bad as it looked, but it was. I mean, it was such a beautiful, beautiful cabin. It was just kind of heartbreaking to see that, especially knowing how much love and care went into that entire site. Unfortunately, the cabin is completely unusable. Acting Wrangell District Ranger Tori Hauser heard from Owings about the damage to the cabin. It's not safe. The roof is squished in and the sidewall is completely damaged. And um, you can see in some of the pictures that the, the stringers that hold up the roof from the second floor are damaged. It's, it's really bad. Hauser says that Forest Service staff will head down to do an inspection as soon as possible. Our staff's going out um, as soon as we can. Uh, get a weather window and get down there and we're going to check the whole site out and the extent of the damage to the cabin on the ground and uh, make a plan for 
for uh, what we can do, get the trees out of there, that kind of thing, clean up. Checking out the whole site will include the quarter-mile walk up to the Anna and Creek Wildlife Observatory deck in case it was a larger blowdown than just one tree. Hauser says it's likely the Anna and Bay cabin won't be fixed this summer and says the Forest Service has been calling folks with reservations to try and shift plans or issue refunds. On the booking site, the cabin is blocked out for the remainder of this year. For people who have the cabin booked, it'll be a bit of a blow, not only to their camping plans, but for potential visits to the wildlife observatory as well. Anan operates on a permit system, and four of the 60 daily permits are set aside for users of the Anan Bay cabin. Hauser says she's hopeful for a relatively quick repair to the cabin. Uh, the good news is that um, the Tongass has recently received an influx of funding dedicated to cabins through the bipartisan infrastructure law. And we are hoping to pivot and to uh, move funding that Wrangell would receive uh, to the Anand Bay cabin and get it fixed as quickly as possible. Probably we'll have to completely reconstruct. Hauser says it's not a totally infrequent occurrence to have a cabin hit by a tree. We are in the largest national forest in the United States, after all. But it seems to be a more catastrophic hit than normal. Thank goodness nobody was in it. Nobody was hurt. Even with their plans foiled by nature, Owings says his group still had an enjoyable weekend at a nearby cabin they were able to book last minute. Well, that that was the rough part. You know, all these people were looking you know, forward to this. I've been telling my kids about this. For, the, for about a year now, and uh, that's when we uh, we realized that just right around the corner in Saucy Bay there was a cabin, so we were able to rent that one out and and spend our time there. So it wasn't a total loss, but that, that's what we ended up doing for Plan B instead of just heading home. Other cabins are often Plan Bs to Annan. Of the 22 other cabins on the Wrangell Ranger District, only two have been used more than Annan Bay over the past three years. In Wrangell... I'm Sage Smiley. Earlier this month, the state joined a lawsuit that could pull the abortion pill from the shelves. If it succeeds, doctors and advocates say it will further limit rural Alaskans' access to reproductive health care. K2's Claire Strempel has the story. Bristel Larson lives in Dillingham. 20 years ago, she became pregnant. I was very early on in my pregnancy and knew in my heart that I was not going to be a mom. She worked seasonal jobs that required physical labor, jobs she couldn't manage pregnant or with an infant. She chose to have an abortion. She had to travel to Anchorage, one of only three cities in the state that offers them. She said a medical abortion, known as the abortion pill, wasn't an option for her at that time because she didn't live close enough to Anchorage. Her doctor didn't want to send her hundreds of miles back to Dillingham where they couldn't check on her. But she said she could see some benefits. I think it would have, might have been less traumatic for physically and not having to go through the, you know, putting on the gown and going through the whole, the whole rigmarole. That was almost 20 years ago. But the trip would be the same today. More than a quarter of people who seek abortions in Alaska travel more than 30 miles for care, according to Planned Parenthood. Abortion is legal in Alaska, but doctors and advocates say it's not equitable or accessible because of the state's geography and large rural population. And some say the lawsuit the state joined could limit access even further. Doctors say Mifepristone is the most effective abortion pill on the market. The lawsuit would make sure it was no longer available. 
Dr. Robin Holmes is a primary care provider in Homer. She's concerned about the direction the legal system is moving when it comes to medicine. The overall implication is that politicians took away physicians' rights to prescribe medications that are safe and effective for purely political reasons. The clinic where Holmes works does not provide abortions or prescribe abortion pills. It offers sexual and reproduction care and education for people of all income levels in the southern part of the Kenai Peninsula. Abortion is protected in the state's constitution through the right to privacy, but Holmes said that it can be hard to find care that feels private in small towns in Alaska. Alaskans are already so so limited in their access to even getting reproductive health care as far as STI screenings or long-acting contraceptive options. What we don't need is to have another political imposition to our health care access. Rose O'Hara Jolly is the director of Planned Parenthood Alliance Advocates in Alaska. This case is baseless. There is no reason um, from a science standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint, it is simply about restricting access to abortion, even in states where abortion is still legal. A statement from Alaska Attorney General Treg Taylor says he joined the lawsuit because the federal government allows the pill to be prescribed by mail, which means even people in states where abortion is illegal can get it. That's not the way most Alaskans get it. Planned Parenthood is the state's main prescriber, and it only does so in person but the lawsuit would still make the pill unavailable in the state. If the lawsuit is successful, O'Hara Jolly said Planned Parenthood will still prescribe abortion pills, but it will have to use a slightly less effective drug if mifepristone is no longer legal. Abortion will still be safe and legal in Alaska. We just will have one less method. A decision in the case is expected as soon as the end of this week. With reporting from Izzy Ross in Dillingham, I'm Claire Strempel in Juneau. In April, the State Division of Public Assistance will begin the year-long process of reviewing every Medicaid recipient in the state. All 263,000 Alaskans who receive Medicaid have been guaranteed coverage over the last three years of the statewide COVID-19 public health emergency Now the division has to resume its usual checks to make sure people still qualify while it manages a backlog of food stamps and other public assistance applications. Alaska turned in a plan to the federal government, but it is one of only nine states without a publicly posted plan for how it will wind down from the public health emergency. It does have an FAQ and some information on its website. Deb Etheridge is the director of the Division of Public Assistance. She took over leadership with the division last month in the midst of the backlog. She says the state doesn't want anyone to lose health coverage. And for the individuals who will be transitioning off of our state Medicaid program, we're working with the federal marketplace with the Division of Insurance to ensure that they have options for health insurance. Most of the recertification work falls to the eligibility staff who will determine if individuals still qualify for federal assistance. But there is something Alaskans can do to prepare. Make sure their addresses are up to date with the state. Notifications about when and how to reapply for Medicaid will arrive by mail, and Etheridge says that checking and reading the mail will help speed the process.
Updating an address does require a call to the division's virtual contact center, which has frustrated public assistance recipients with long wait times over the past few months. But Etheridge says the division will be training 75 new contract workers to answer the phones in the coming weeks, which should significantly lessen wait times. Jared Kozin, the president of the state's hospital and nursing association, called it a major insurance event. He said that people tend to fall off the Medicaid he said that people tend to fall off the Medicaid rolls when there's a change that requires action from the consumer. Outreach and kind of methodical planning and execution are I mean, really important because it can be really disruptive to have a lot of people drop off uh, of Medicaid. Officials say that some reapplications will be processed automatically, but others will need to be done manually by the same eligibility workers that are processing a months-long backlog of food stamps. But there's a key difference between the food stamp applications. People stopped getting food stamps with that backlog. Etheridge says that won't happen with Medicaid recertifications. Alaskans who no longer qualify for care will have 30 to 60 days for appeals. The department hasn't yet released a public plan for what will happen after that. Last week was Discover Your Potential Week at Blatchley Middle School in Sitka. And a group of 8th graders is discovering their potential plus picking up serious job skills training as baristas at a local coffee bar. KCAW's Catherine Rose stopped by to see how it's going and sent this audio postcard. Yeah, I want a 24-ounce skinny purple lotus with sugar-free vanilla and sugar-free strawberry. We've been doing DYP, which is Discover Your Potential, and this is barista we're in right now. There is a lot of different coffees and syrups and stuff like lotuses put into it, which I didn't know. There's caramel, there's all types of fruits, there's um, kind of fun ones like toasted marshmallow. I made a tiger chai, which was really good, which I had today. Um, right now, I'm making a drink that my friend made, and I added some caramel to it. We can just make up whatever we want sometimes, or just ha- have whatever we want on the board. I mean, with all the people here, it's also kind of stuffed when it comes to moving around. But I've had a great time doing this. The customers were great. They made it not stressful, and they let us have our time and stuff which I found was kind of relaxing, fun to do. Cash register was easy to work, so were the machines. And then right when they get to the white line, we're going to hit the button again and it'll stop. Um, Just learning customer service is really cool for them to learn how to interact with people. Uh, They're working with the cashier, um, learning how to give change back. and then just getting experience of a potential job that some of them might have going into high school um, or even after, especially in the summer here, 
a lot of coffee shops in town that might be hiring. So if uh, they were older, I would totally hire them this summer. All six of them are awesome. They've come just super excited. They We also let them create their own specials drink that we're gonna advertise for the next week so they can come in with their families or anyone else that wants to and get what special drink that they created. What was the name of your drink, Shayla? Hers was? Uh, citrus Cream Creation. Citrus Cream Creation was one of them. And what's your favorite drink? If you, if you go to a coffee shop, what do you like to grab? Uh, from here, Love Potion. Tastes like berries and cold foam. Basically like heavy cream mixed together, so it, cr it creates like more foamy. And you add the syrup to it, so it tastes like it's flavored. I've learned that, that there's a lot of different customers and that making drinks is a lot easier than you think. That was Splatchley Middle School 8th grader Gabe Blankenship and Claire De La Cruz mastering the barista arts at Bear Country Coffee, along with teacher and coffee shop co-owner Kirsten Karsunke. Discover Your Potential Week at Blatchley Middle School is all about learning and honing new skills. I'm Shelby Herbert, and thank you so much for joining me for Midday Magazine.